I have got to tell you folks that I stand up before you today with some trepidation because I'm going to try something that I have never tried before. Tell you about that in a minute. So we just had Shavuot, which is the celebration of the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And in today's Torah portion, we have the 70 elders with Eldad and Medad who are out in the camp. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And as I said many times, Shavuot is an anniversary of God's giving us guidance twice. The first time he gave it to us, he gave it to us in the form of a book. Second time he gave it to us, he gave it to us in the form of a person. And the nice thing about a book, of course, is that the words don't change. The bad thing about a book is the words don't change, but we change out from under it. So what happens is, as we drift and we change and language change and so forth, the book stays the same, but our understanding changes. So God sends us a person, Holy Spirit, who can come along beside us and say, "Uh, that's not really what it means there, bucko. You need to change your understanding. So the combination of the two is on Shavuot. In every case where the Holy Spirit is given save one, the arrival of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by some sort of manifestation. So, for example, with Eldad and Medad, the 70 elders, it says they prophesy, whatever that means. And then Eldad and Medad, who were not there, were out in the middle of the camp for some reason, they also prophesied. Everybody knew that something had happened. You remember the incident with Peter and the crew going to see Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit lands on the Gentiles. Everybody knew that that had happened. When we have the upper room, we have tongues of fire coming down. So in every case except one, there is some manifestation when the Holy Spirit is present and comes upon people. The one exception is in John chapter 20, and I will read that to you. John 20, 21, And Yeshua said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, I don't know about you, but my personal perspective is if the Messiah himself breathes on you and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, you've got the Holy Spirit. There's no doubt in my military mind that those folks had the Holy Spirit. But they didn't have any manifestation of it until Pentecost. I have no idea what that's all about. I'll just tell you right up front, no idea whatsoever. Because at the end of Luke, it says, you guys hang around here in Jerusalem until you get endued with power. And as I say, power happens on the day of Shavuot. I have no idea what's going on in between. That's above my pay grade. But as I say, every other arrival of the Spirit has some manifestation. Now, as Tim was saying this morning, and I will say it differently, the church has lost its mojo. It's very obvious that the church in the United States is of mixed effectiveness. There are pockets of the church that things are going really well, but there are big swaths of the church where things obviously are not. And a couple of reasons for that. The first one is we live in an age of reason, and we've sort of lost the habit of spiritual connectedness. We do everything with our intellect instead of spiritually now. And that's been going on for 500 years. We're sort of at the end of that process. 
we want to be autonomous. And that's been going on since the garden. Autonomy, as I've told you many times before, means self-law. In other words, we want to be a law unto ourselves. And combine this desire to be our own law with reason, and we've sort of lost our connection. In order to be a law unto ourselves, what the Jews did is they did the Oral Torah. Remember in the Gospels, when Yeshua dukes it out with the Pharisees, he says, your traditions have made Moses void or of no effect. So wanting to do their own thing, be a law unto themselves, in the Jewish context is the Oral Torah. In the Christian context, it is, we ain't going to do anything with that old law. We're going to just hang out in the New Testament. That's our part of the book. That's where we're going to be. But the net result of both of those decisions or cultures or however you want to describe it is we lose our connection to God because we're not doing the things that God would have us to do. By the way, I've said this before and I'll say it again in this context. I don't know of anybody in the United States who has not heard the gospel. We have a Christian culture in the United States. So the idea that Yeshua has come and has been sacrificed, shed his blood for your sins, you can be forgiven, all that kind of stuff, is something that pretty much everybody in the United States knows intellectually. They've heard the stories. But that message is of limited effectiveness. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that people today have been inoculated with a weak and impotent strain of Christianity so they become immune to the real thing. That's what I'm talking about when I say everybody in the United States has heard the gospel. They have been inoculated with a weak and ineffective strain of Christianity so that when they run up against the real thing, they are immune to it. Now, the people who are immune to the gospel are in fact terrified of it. And the reason they're terrified is because their lives have no meaning. And really they're just moving through their lives with the hope that when they die they just cease to exist and all this will be over. And the thing that terrifies them about Christianity is, one, you don't get out. In other words, when you die that's not the end. That's terrifying. But the other part of that is, oh by the way, Christianity says you can't do the few meager pleasures that you have in this life. At least that's their impression. Not only can't I get off the wheel or whatever you want to call it, but it's no fun. And the combination of those two is what I'm calling this weak inoculation. Now, the Holy Spirit is the antidote to that. He is a teacher and a guide. He is not a commander. What do I mean by that? God has put you in this world to develop you, to give you enjoyment, to give you pleasure, to give you joy, all of those kinds of things. Most of the things in the Torah are, don't touch that live wire over there, it'll hurt you. So a lot of the Torah is just, don't do that, it'll hurt you. That's the first commandment in the garden. Don't eat that tree, it'll kill you. I mean, that was the extent of the instructions. Now, there are other things in the Torah. If you deal well with each other, if you're charitable, all those kinds of things, your life will be good and you will thrive. There are those kinds of laws. But most of them are 
don't do that, it'll kill you or it'll destroy your society. And you have a great deal of latitude in how you live your life. The areas that God says to stay out of, realistically speaking, are really rather small. And again, the, the, the pattern is the garden. You got the whole garden in front of you. All of the fruit, everything you want, just don't do that. That's it. That's the only thing you can't do. Everything else you can do, enjoy. And as we get the Torah, there are some other things we are not supposed to do, but again, compared to what you can do, they are fairly minimal. So when I say the Holy Spirit is a teacher and a guide, not a commander, what I am saying there is he is there to help you, to understand, to guide you, teach you things, get you to stay out of the places where you're supposed to stay out of, but he doesn't walk along and micromanage your entire life. That's not his job. But these folks that are inoculated with a weak strain of Christianity sort of think that that is his job. That you've got this cosmic cop that is sitting on your shoulder and he's a killjoy. That's nonsense. That isn't who the Holy Spirit is. And I'll give you a list. He's a helper and an advocate. John 14, 16. He's a teacher. John 14, 25. He's a witness to Yeshua. John 15, 26 and 27. He convicts the world of sin, not you, the world. He's a guide, John 16. He declares things to come. In other words, he gives you prophetic knowledge, John 16 again. And he is the earnest or the guarantee of your inheritance. That's Ephesians 1. Did any of those things sound like he's a killjoy? I didn't say killjoy anywhere in that list, did I? He's not a killjoy. In fact, God gets grumpy with Israel and sends them into exile because they did not serve him with joy. Joy is a big deal. And the Spirit wants you to walk through this world in joy. Don't eat the fruit. I mean, there are certain things you don't want to do, but that's for your safety. It's not because he doesn't want you to enjoy it. It's not that there's some special fruit in the garden that is the most wonderful fruit in the whole world. And boy, if you eat that fruit, you're going to have complete experience of fruit. No, that one's deadly. Don't eat that one. You don't need to know what that one tastes like. Of course, we don't do that. So, I'm going to read to you John 14, starting in verse 15, which is talking about the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to have Grant flip a slide up here and show you some things. So, we've turned to the book of John, chapter 14, and I'm just going to start in 15. This is Yeshua speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let me have my slide. For those of you who have been around a while, this is a chiasm. <laughs> Shazam! You've all seen chiasms before. And I want you to look at the structure of that. At the top and the bottom of the chiasm, it says, if you love me. 
But the next one in is the big deal. It says, keep my commandments. So notice you have keep my commandments at the top. If you love me, keep my commandments. And you have keep my commandments at the bottom. So everything else that follows about the Holy Spirit follows from loving Yeshua and keeping the commandments. Big deal. And then as you come in, I will ask the Father, and I'm in my Father. But in the middle there is, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you of orphans. I will come to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is in the middle of that chiasm. But in order to get to that middle, the first have to love Yeshua, and the second thing you need to do is keep the commandments. Love and keep the commandments. So if you are walking in disobedience, the Holy Spirit is not going to be with you. Now, don't get me wrong. We all stray off the path, and the Holy Spirit will remind you and say, you're really off the path here. But the point is, if you want the Holy Spirit, you have to start from loving Yeshua and keeping the commandments. All right. Now, in the other reading today, which we're going to talk about in Midrash, we're in Matthew chapter 14. And that's the part where Peter walks on the water. Yeshua comes walking on the water, and Peter's sitting in the boat and says, If that's you, Lord, command me to come to you. And Peter starts walking toward him, walking across the water. And then it says best passage in the entire Bible, he started to sink. How do you start to sink? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. But the thing about it is, Yeshua does not say, oh shoot, my connection to the power here is screwed up and I've lost Peter. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So who's the problem here? Peter's the problem. Yeshua is not the problem. What is allowing Peter to walk on this water? The Holy Spirit. That's the power source. That's the thing that's keeping him up. What is the thing that messes up his connection to the Holy Spirit and causes him to start to sink? Fear. And I will suggest to you that one of the reasons that the church today is ineffective is because of fear. Which is to say, oh... That Holy Spirit stuff, that was for the apostolic age. It doesn't apply anymore. You have denominations of the body of Christ that that is their theology. And I will suggest that that theology is based on fear. I mean, what if I lay hands on the sick and he drops dead? What if I tell somebody to receive the Holy Spirit and nothing happens? What if, what if, what if? That's fear. If I follow the instructions and it doesn't work like the instructions say, what does that do about my faith? Am I believing in something that doesn't exist? Do I have faith in something that's wrong if it doesn't work? Or is there something wrong with me and am I going to look like a fool standing up here with oil in my hands and this corpse at my feet? Fear. It's all fear. And that's what happens with Peter. Peter gets out there and he has a wily e. coyote moment. You know, the you know, wily e. coyote that runs off the cliff and he's standing there and all of a sudden he realizes he's standing on air and down he goes. That's what happened to Peter. He's all excited. The Lord has told him to come. He steps out of the boat and he starts walking. Oh, shoot. What have I just done? And down he goes. That's fear. That's what happens. Now, the instructions say, love Yeshua, 
obey the commandments. I think that pretty much covers everybody in here. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is available to everyone here. Now, this is where the fear comes in. As I was reading this stuff last night, and I was pumping myself up, it came to me, well, why don't you call people to come up and receive the Holy Spirit? And I, oh, you understand what I just said? So I am inviting anybody who wants the Holy Spirit to come up and get it, because God says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to you than this loving father would give his son a stone? And by the way, any of you who have the Holy Spirit, come on up and help me. Now, by the way, I'm not putting pressure on people here. If you want the Holy Spirit, come up and get it. There's a great scripture that I use often. It summarizes what John has just told us. It's in Timothy. We have Paul, the older brother, speaking to Timothy, the younger brother. They most likely had just gotten an assignment to go do something. They're both afraid. And Paul says to Timothy, He, the mighty one of Israel, has not given us a spirit of fear. And then he defines the Holy Spirit, he says, But he has given us power and love and a sound mind. This is what the Holy Spirit of God is. Power and love and a sound mind. And that's what is being offered today. Hallelujah. When this came to me last night, I broke into a cold sweat. Tell you right up. So, those of you who want the Holy Spirit, ask for it. Ask for it. Look at someone beside you who has the Spirit and say, I want the Holy Spirit. That's what you have to do. Father, your word says that you will give to those who ask. Receive the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah.